I'm Leonard Nimoy. Join me for In Search of... An Artemis! Welcome to the podcast. By any measure, 2020 has been a very dark year. Those of you who live only in the present may not be aware of the fact that 80 years ago, 1940, was an even darker year. It was in 1940 that the Nazi regime of bloodshed and terror and murder was probably at its evil peak of power. And it was during 1940 that one of the signal events of World War II, the Nazi conquest of France and the occupation of Paris, occurred. As a result of that, as sometimes happens, out of tragedy, was born some great art. In this particular case, a great song composed musically by the great Jerome Kern and lyrically by the great Oscar Hammerstein. I'm going to read some of the lyrics of the song. The last time I saw Paris, her heart was warm and gay. I heard the laughter of her heart in every street cafe. The last time I saw Paris, her trees were dressed for spring, and lovers walked beneath those trees and birds found songs to sing. I dodged the same old taxi cabs that I had dodged for years. The chorus of their squeaky horns was music to my ears. The last time I saw Paris, her heart was warm and gay. No matter how they change her, I'll remember her that way. My name is Jim Gentilly. I am not a very experienced international traveler, but I have been to Paris. And my friends and podcast partners, Peg Bennett, Shelley Cummings, and John Heinz, and our very special guests and my friend Beth Shannon are all intrepid international travelers, and they have all been to Paris. And today we are going to share our memories and stories of Paris, and maybe that will make this dark time a little bit lighter. So I'm going to begin by asking each of you, starting with Beth Shannon, what is the first thing you think of when you think of Paris? Uh, the first thing I think about is my first trip there when I think it was 97 with my sister and, uh, on Peggy's point on the pre-Thanksgiving podcast, we have a complicated family. So you're always sort of negotiating where you're going to spend Thanksgiving. And so I decided to go to Paris and convince my sister to meet me there. So I always remember that first trip and how great. Thanksgiving can be without your family. Peg, what's your first thought when you think of Paris? I usually think of champagne. And I think about how I feel like every time we went out to eat, every time I've been there, a meal starts with a coupe de champagne. And how I wish I did that at home every meal. <laughs> Shelly, what do you think about when you think about Paris? Every and every meal. snack. <laughs> um, I think about the amazing architecture and history when I think about Paris. That's my very first. And then it would be the amazing food and the people. And John, I saved you for last because I think most of the people listening to the podcast know this, but just in case they don't, you have it all over the rest of us because you have actually lived in Paris. 
So what do you think about first when you think about Well, parenting? but I think about, so I, it depends. It's like a cop-out lawyer answer. But I guess if the, the thing that came to mind when you said it was, I probably think of Ernest Hemingway. For those people who don't know, he's the one who quoted, who called Paris a movable feast. And he wrote in Paris a lot. Um, and I just think of him because, I mean, it's a, it's, I probably, he's, probably the writer who I most associate with Paris and he's probably which is hilarious that he's an American and it, it's uh, and I also think it's the most it, you know it, it's a literary town and I think of uh, I think of writers and poets and, and uh, artists before I think of anybody else okay Thanksgiving away from family champagne with every meal architecture Great American expatriate writers. That's quite a feast to talk about. John, what is it like to live in Paris? Oh, it's the greatest city on earth. It's my favorite city, period. It's number one on my list of cities. And it's because it's the most beautiful city ever. Uh, and for those, I mean, almost all of, all of our listeners are going to know this. But the thing that makes European cities, especially Paris, different from American cities is when American cities kind of had average wealthy or middle class and upper middle class people moving to suburbs and kind of the outskirts or to enclaves and cities. Paris was was kind of keeping its most privileged people within the within the relatively small footprint of Paris. So Paris as a city is a very rich place. And I mean rich both in culture and in money. <laughs> it's a it's a privileged place. So what what it's like to live there is to live a, a beautiful a daily beautiful life where every walk you take, every alley you turn on, every step you take from your apartment has another like perspective on the city and on architecture and buildings and parks and and people that's beautiful. Um, I remember people getting up in the morning and saying they're going to go to get laundry and they had to get dressed to go get you know to go to the laundromat because they had to look good when they go out on the street. It's a, it's a beautiful place. So what it's like to live there is to live somewhere where beauty is very important all the time. That's, at least that's how they market themselves. I, and I, I was probably going to go into the direction a little later about how you know, Paris has taken some dark turn recently in addition to the pandemic. But, but there's no question that's, that is the Paris that I, I lived in. And how, when did you live there from? I lived there twice, but I lived there between, basically I got there before 9-11 and I stayed through 05. But the, but the, um, you know, I visited many, many, many times before and after, um, although fewer recently, I haven't lived there recently. But I, yeah, I lived in the fourth. So Paris is, you know, has a bunch of arrondissements, districts. And I lived in the fourth and the 11th. And the fourth was always is the Swamp Marais. And that neighborhood was the Jewish Quarter. Uh, where I lived the first time I went, and the second time I went, I lived in near the Bastille or near uh, Re Republic Square. If you want to call it that, Place de la République. And that was when I moved there. It was even though it was within Paris, it was one of the neighborhoods in Paris where, if you looked in one of the guides, the tour guides, they were like, "Don't go to that neighborhood; it's dangerous." Which, of course, was a complete joke, right? I mean, completely. It's, it, it's the feeling of safety and comfort and security in Paris is, or at least was. Um, off the charts compared to any American city. You just didn't have to look over your shoulder the way you do in the way I did in Chicago growing up. Hey, did you want to jump in? Yeah, I wanted to ask you, Jim, what do you think of when you think of Paris? Food. Every ah. meal there was delightful. 
Isn't that so true? That's what and I think just of first. Ate those pastries every morning for breakfast and never gained a pound. I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> magic calorie. <laughs> How does that work? I guess because maybe it's all magic. the walking. I don't know, but walking? it was amazing. Okay. I don't think uh, I could do that here. I need to be on that diet. Well, I do think, you know, food presentation. It's, mm-hmm. it's France is the place where I learned about food presentation, right? Yeah. Where you like sit down for meals and you plate food and you have a napkin and you have, you know, like you organize, like it's like there's an event attached to even the most rudimentary eating experience, even getting an espresso in the cafe. There's like a demitasse, there's a little glass that's served in. And because of all those formalities of the stuff that goes with eating, the like the, the things you eat with and the accoutrement and the routines and the, you know, the amuse-bouche, the, things have different names, like the, the appetizer has a name. Uh, because of those routines, I feel like I don't eat as much because you you're there longer, but you're not like just putting the feed bag on and like shoveling in a bunch of French fries. Well, also the portions are smaller. I was going to say the same For thing. Sure. And so yeah, you get to taste a variety of different things without having one giant, you know, chicken fried steak in front of you or something. The, the food size, the, the portion size is much uh more realistic for what we should be eating with all the walking one tends to do because it's such a beautiful city. I think that helps you have lovely pastries and champagne with every meal and not being late. Yeah. I I remember going to a party of a guy who worked at the Louvre. uh, I was in this little gay circuit of friends in Paris. and, And one of this one guy worked at the Louvre and his job was 16th century tunics. (laughs) <laughs> that was his job at the Louvre, you know, full time job, and that was that was his job. Anyway, <sighs> he had a party, and the party was out. It was out in the outskirts of Paris, but it was he had a party, and even at a party where there were like forty people standing up dancing in the living room, and there were no chairs, he like emptied out his chairs so that people could stand in this small apartment and dance or talk. Even at this party, over the course of a night, he served the snacks in courses. They, there was a, there was an appetizer course. There was a main course. There was a dessert course. There was a salad course. There was a coffee course. There was a cheese course. It was like all the courses. So I think courses also kind of slows you down and makes you eat more deliberately because you get a small portion, you eat it, there's a pause, then there's a course. And I think it just, you eat less. Maybe. Would uh, everyone here, did everyone, you, John, obviously you saw the loop. What do you mean maybe, Jim? You question it? I don't know if that's true. I said maybe. I don't know. I mean, it's a theory. <laughs> yeah, but it's like it's like. Dude, I mean, lived it. What, what, which part of it is maybe? Which part of it is true? Not true. <laughs> There's no question. The way you're describing it is true. Whether right. that actually causes people to end up eating less, uh, the theory uh, okay. I don't know. Okay, I don't okay, know. Okay, if Okay. I'm not saying like, your description. I was I'm like, sorry. which part is a lie? So no, 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 no. You're not lying. I'm just saying your theory that that is what causes okay. you to eat less. All right, all right, all right. I don't know. Maybe that's true. I, and I didn't even say that I thought it wasn't true. I just said maybe it's true. I, that's an interesting theory. I was going to ask the Louvre. Everybody's been to the Louvre, I assume, no? Yes. That is yeah. one of the things I did in my short and only visit to Paris is I did see the Louvre. Yes. Yeah, the first time I went there, my sister and I had a whole plan so we could knock off all the stuff you're supposed to see. So we had this such a big museum. So we just had this crazy sprint through the Louvre to try and see the Mona Lisa and see the Venus and all that. So we probably got 10,000 steps just sprinting through the Louvre that day. It's the most avoided Uh museum on Earth. 
The Louvre and the Eiffel Tower are really the only two things I saw. I did not go to Notre Dame or any of that. Well, when I had a friend who is has now has now passed away, but when she she was a major introducer to me, she's an American who moved to moved to Paris after World War II, and she is very much was my entree to to France, and she made me love Paris the first time, and is why I moved but ended up moving there. But she used to always say that when she had friends coming to visit, she would ask them before they got there which Paris they want to see. And some Paris, some people just wanted to kind of eat their way through Paris. Some wanted the literary experience. Some wanted the museum. Some wanted the nightlife and clubs and the decadence and the whatever. But there's lots of options. And Jim, I think you and I kind of ate our way through the city. Well, we did. I mean, you weren't with us the whole time while we were there. Right. We went off to the Louvre and the Eiffel Tower without you. And uh, and you were, I'm sure you had your, your uh, I'm sure you had your personal business to attend to while we were there. Always. Um, <laughs> also, I think you were, you might have been working that Friday. Right. Because I, you know, I don't think Thanksgiving is a holiday in France. But, um, so that was in 2001. And uh, Beth, you first went in '97, right? right? Is that what you said? When's the first time you went, Peg? Do you remember? I don't actually even remember the year. Who did you go with? I was lying in bed trying to figure it out. Well, the one year I went for Thanksgiving, I think John. No, John was living there. I went with Terry Goletz, and Gwen was visiting his family. John, you found us a place to stay in the sixth. That that cute guy's apartment. Xander, my friend Xander, who's now a famous author. Yeah, we stayed in his apartment and looked through all his drawers and stuff. And nice. Boxers are briefs. Boxers are briefs. Boxers are briefs. No, I'm just yet, kidding. He wasn't yet a famous author, so it was an unfamous. We only looked through the drawer that out. was right next. So he slept. He had a loft, and Terry and I slept in the loft together. And we and he had a tiny little, like the tiniest little drawer thing right there next to his loft so up high so of course we had to look in there and there were condoms in there but that's the only drawer i looked up looked in <laughs> um so i don't know what year that was well what size <laughs> condoms were they Peg? let's ask that while we're poking into the man clearly he didn't use them as much as he should have um that's a whole nother <sighs> story <laughs> What? <laughs> what? Whoa! A little judgy. Okay, I don't even know what I'm yes, lost you now. You. Okay. John, you know. So, Shelly, when you went to Paris, what was the first time you went, and who were you with? Uh, I went to Paris in February of 2020. And that's the first time you went. Yes, that's the first and only time. Oh, wow. I didn't know I that. Been. So you went and just in under the wire. Yes, we were in the Louvre. The week before, exactly the week to the day before it closed because of COVID. Wow. Yep. We were. And whose condom drawer were you looking for? Uh, nobody's. I went with <laughs> two of my best travel friends. That's not, doesn't That's include. to distinguish from you, Peggy. That who doesn't is include her Peggy. Best, Peggy best is the very best. <laughs> uh, work friend. They're actually work friends that we uh, love to travel and we do really, really well together. So we went to London for a few days and then um, the channel over to Paris. Wow. I've never been in the channel. Yeah. 
So I have a question for you guys. Yeah. The, one of the things that Paris meant for me was, and a lot of European cities, especially Paris was like the culmination of it, was a place where uh, a lot of the things that I love about city life were maximized. So I like cities because they're places where the arts are concentrated. I like cities because they're places where you can walk instead of drive. I like cities because they're filled with diverse people from places all around the world and foods from around the world. And the, I like cities for a lot of these things. And Paris for me was like kind of like the maximum of that. So I'm curious what you guys like about Paris. Like what is the thing that, or, or, cause I actually admitted that it was my favorite. It's my favorite city on earth. I don't know. Maybe you guys didn't even like it. So what do you think? And what, what is it that uh, appeals? I'll go first. So I loved it. And I don't know if I loved it so much because of, I love wine and champagne and food. Or if it was for all those reasons that you mentioned, John, that I don't have any longer since I live in Indiana and I have to drive wherever I go. There is culture here, but it's a little, a lot different than what you see in Paris. And I like, I loved just walking outside my door and walking down and getting a coffee or a pastry or having champagne with breakfast or seeing all the people and the hustle and bustle and the way they dress. Even when it, I don't know where they're going, but I don't see people out in sweatpants or people that um, look like they have their pajama bottoms on and slippers and are out and about. <laughs> you know, I see them, they're all like dressed to the nines with their cute little hats and scarves and the women in their beautiful shoes. And it just, it seems just very sophisticated and it matters what you look like, regardless of what you're doing. I just, I, I loved it. Every bit of it. I, I enjoyed it myself. And as you know, I rarely enjoy anything. So, um, but yeah, I enjoyed it. I had a good time. <laughs> what did you enjoy specifically, <laughs> Jim? Because <laughs> that was a very I enjoyed the food. I did enjoy <laughs> being able so to funny. walk around. Oh, man. I do remember... Not I. John found a place for us to stay, and I don't know if it was Xander's place or not. I didn't check the condom drawer while I was there, so I can't tell it for sure. But um, but uh, the place we stayed that John arranged—I think you arranged it, John. We had to walk up endless, like it was like we were staying at the top of Rapunzel's tower or something. <laughs> We had to walk up endless flights of stairs. Yeah, it was probably like where three. We that, but that's good because then you could eat more pastries that way. I guess. I thought I was <laughs> exactly. going to die. I thought I was going to have a stroke every day walking up those. Walking down the stairs in the morning, but walking up at the end of the day was not my favorite part of it. But I'm focusing on the negative. It was a, it was a good experience all the way around. So would you go back, Jim? We can oh, absolutely! Again? I would like. Okay. I would like to go back. In fact, John and Will, John Gentili and Will and I were planning to take a trip this past summer to London and to Paris, and we mm. got spoiled by circumstances. But you know, again, hardly the worst thing that has happened in 2020. But but yes, I would definitely uh, would love to go back again. Would love to go back to Paris and London. Uh, two places that I've been, but only for short visits, and I, I enjoyed them both very much. And both, of course, wouldn't have gone to either one, but for the 
influence of one Mr. John Height. So there you go. And John got you to China too. John got me to China too. So really, wow. I only ex- I'm a mere cipher without John. I'm just you know, <laughs> I probably never would leave my apartment. Well, actually, Beth, I probably would never leave my apartment without either you or John. I probably would either be at my apartment or Copper Canyon my entire life. Well, I was going to say we're Copper Canyon. Yes, yes. But, you know, probably. Probably. What about you? Uh, Yeah, I like, I love it too. I I think I've been there three times. I don't know. It's either three or four. I wish I kept track of these things and wrote them down with years for these kind of moments. And I (laughs) was there in Thanksgiving a year ago. I was there a year ago. And... I absolutely love it for all the reasons everybody is saying. It's walkable. It's beautiful. It's classy. The food is fantastic. The architecture, the history. It's easy to get around on the um, subway, whatever you call it. I just, yeah, I find it great. I even love the train stations. I mean, I think the first day we were there a year ago, we we must we walked twelve miles. I kept track on my Fitbit, and just at a leisurely pace, and you don't even know how far you're walking, you know. And you stop and have a bite, and I, I just very much disagree with people who say that French people are rude. I just don't find them to be Midwestern nice, but they're certainly not rude, mm-hmm. and I think that's <laughs> fine. I like it. It's great. Not, never had anybody there that I thought was not kind to me. So I don't know. Did I answer the question? Mm-hmm. 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 I love the churches. I love the art. I was yeah. going to ask John and Beth, what was the last time? John, you haven't been there that recently, right? No. Beth, what was the last Magically. time you were there? The last time I was there was yeah. uh, 2010. Okay, so, so you haven't been there that so Peggy and Shelley have been there the most recently. Did you, did, Shelley, you had not been there before. Peg, did you notice change, any much change from when you had been there before? Well, I found the Eiffel Tower to be fascinating. So it must have been, I'm a, you know, between last year and then the last time I was there prior to that must have been really long time ago. The way it was all, the security, it was so different. And that all has to be related to, you know, shootings and everything. So, yeah, I did notice stuff was different as far as it was a shame how far away you are from the Eiffel Tower before you can get to it now waiting in line because of all the security. So, yeah, that was something I noticed. Um, And then, of course, Notre Dame, it was post the fire. So that was significantly different. So, yeah, there were things that that were different there's still no a lot of way, smoking it, it, there's no way it can't be it yeah there's no way it can't feel different i mean i i the block i lived on was down the street from where the charlie hebdo offices were so it was literally on that street <laughs> like maybe 100 yards away is where i lived and you know i and i i haven't been there since that so it's been a long time and uh i just you know i talk i talked to friends there and it's just it's it and they they don't really Know, talk about it being worse but it's, you can just tell there are um that 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 uh the the police and the the presence of of, of security has just really has really changed things i mean because it, it and jim i jim got me to watch a, a movie the other day 
about in the night. I guess it's in the 1960s. 64 the was man. the movie. Yeah, 64, the and I'm watching it. And you know, the dominant thing that it was a Gore Vidal written How film. How different and I the love security is. The yeah, reporters still like that's right the up number there. one thing. Yeah, this, yeah. Like, people are like in the, the reporters are like walking into the hotel room well, of presidential candidates. That movie was shot, although it wasn't released until 1964. It was actually shot before President Kennedy was assassinated. So, well, that's I've got to think it had yeah, to be yeah. because it is. It made me feel like yeah, God, the world yeah. was so innocent, yeah, and that's America. Well, you know, but it's it was it's it's a presidential. The movie's about it, a presidential race a, in America. There's some sense in which the truth of the world being more. I mean, there is a yeah, sense in it which it is true. It's true. It's it the whole both, world is that you way. know that the for for those of us who were alive then, even if we were very little as I was, very young, the the sense. And obviously not all these things are connected. So some of it is just symbolism. But the sense in which the world was rent in two by uh, the Kennedy assassination is uh, very palpable. And, you know, there's before and there's after. And uh, not everything that happened after is bad, but it's definitely a different world after. Uh, yeah, but, you know, that's crazy. the same for 9-11, right? I mean, it's right. the same on a different right. scale, but it's the same thing, right? Everything is different. After nine eleven, and God, remember when you used to be able to go to the airport and go up to the gate and wait for right. someone to come off a plane? You can't well, do that. Well, and you didn't even need to have your own ID. No, no, no you just show up there. Yeah. I remember. I remember. This is going to be. This is ancient history. I remember flying with Jim with on weekend debate tournaments yeah. with a bunch of students, and they would. All, and I would just put all the. And this wasn't me scamming the airlines, but I you didn't kind know of which students were going to go on the trip. All to... the, yeah, I put all the airline tickets in the same name. Mine. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. wow. <laughs> because nobody because, cares. Because sometimes <laughs> the way these debate trips are, sometimes you don't know which exactly which students are going to go on the trip. You know, like you're going to take, say, two teams or four teams. So you're going to take four people or eight people. But you're not sure exactly what the eight people are until like right before the tournament. Right. So you would just buy the tickets and then you would, you know, you'd have eight tickets and you didn't know who the eight people were going to be. And of course, all that has uh all that has changed, though. But, you know, again, positive, as as Zach Braff's character says in Garden State, glass half bullshit. Let's talk about Sh- Shelly. Shelly what do you got? Up. Shelly, I know. I was just about to uh, oh, So sorry. I had several things. Um, so first of all, Jim, the, I can concur with you in feeling like you're almost going to die going up the steps because I felt that way when I went up um, Sacre Coeur, the Basilica. But it was beautiful to see the whole, uh, all of Paris from up there. And it was a cute little area to walk through. Amélie Poulain, the movie, so, for those of you. Who yes. Uh, my where other takes place. big, amazing experience in Paris was uh, going to see Moulin Rouge. Fun. So, so that was a lot of fun. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen as many boobs in one spot. <laughs> Um, they're not really boobs. They're like little niblets because they're not, these ladies are so, uh, thin. (laughs) Um, and then Peggy, I would agree. I did not experience the rude Parisian at all. If anything, it was quite the opposite of what, uh, that stereotype is all about. And there was a fourth one that I forget. I'll come back to it, I guess. Beth? Parisians rude, not rude. Oh, they're they're not rude and ridiculous. To Shelley and I think John's point about 
how they dress. I always want to make sure when I go, I don't look like an American. And so I bought this like great black kind of swing coat my first trip. And I had this leather backpack and it made me so happy when somebody thought I was French oh. and come up to me and speak to me in French and ask me for directions or something. And I thought, I need it here. No fanny pack, no sneakers. They think I'm French. Um, but yeah, and I, I mean, I took French in school and I can still read it a bit. I can't really speak it, but I'd go to the post office and, you know, back when we used to buy stamps and send postcards from our trips. Um, and I'd try to buy my stamps and immediately the French postal clerk would just speak to me in American and be perfectly lovely about it. Like I never had any issues with that. And I love the, um, to what Shelly was saying how, you know, she has to get in her car to go everywhere. I'm lucky enough to have a supermarket I can walk to. So I tend to do a lot of, um, you know, what do I need tonight? Let me walk up to the supermarket and get it. And I think that's something that the French do as well. They, they don't have huge refrigerators. They buy what they need pretty, you know, daily or every other couple of days. So that's why they probably get a lot more exercise than we do in general. John? Peg had her hand up. Oh, yeah, I sorry, did. Peg. Um, I just was going to say, as soon as possible, let's um, do the podcast from Paris. Hell yeah. <laughs> With Gwen. Yes. Yeah, and now that Gwen With lives Gwen. there. That's an so easy step. Uh, would you come to Paris to do a podcast episode? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, and come. Beth will soon be <laughs> Beth will soon be a lady of leisure, so she'll be able to do that. So, so that'll be one of our goals for 2021. All right. That's very great. good. Will it be a prediction for 2021? Let's though? do That's Thanksgiving, the five of us in in uh, Paris. I love I'm it. in. Oh, that I love would be it. awesome. I'm there. Thanksgiving's a great time to go because, of course, the French aren't off the way America is. So you can, That's you the can other do everything. time. The only other time I went wasn't Thanksgiving. So that yeah, would be, it's, a great, it's a great time to go. That there would be a lot something. Of Maybe I'll there. stay more than two days or something. There was but. a period when I was living there where I was too cool and the uh, I'd walk around over Thanksgiving weekend on the street and people would ask me questions and I would pretend like I didn't speak English. Really? <laughs> 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 Thereby feeding the frenzy of the French are mean because I was like, they didn't know. Maybe they didn't know. Maybe they looked at me and didn't know. I didn't know if they didn't know. <laughs> so I, so you when I was there last year, I... speak English? I was just annoyed with the number of people. I lived in a neighborhood where there were a billion tourists. I mean, they were coming every, like, and waves you were, of American you were, tourists. had been there for a week longer than them. Jaded. You were, like, very resentful <laughs> about that. Oh, I right? was. I was, like, so <laughs> superior. I was like, I am so much better than you losers just dropped oh, it off that the plane hilarious. and drinking champagne. Hilarious. Yeah, no, it was ridiculous. I didn't do it very I do often. have to I did say, we were warned. Um, so my one friend lives in Manhattan. My other friend that I travel with used to live in New York, but she now she lives in Florida. And then I used to live in Chicago for 23 years, but now I'm in Indiana. So I'm telling you all of that to say that these people are... Uh, Not rubes. No, they're city savvy, right? So we were warned right. when you go on the train about all the pitpocketers and the gypsies that are going to like prey on you. And we, we, we had our cross the body purses. Rob had his wallet in his back pocket for some strange reason, even though we were told him not to. And we got on the train and there were these, these girls that were milling around and I kind of saw them when we were on the platform. 
And then when we when the train arrived, they got a little bit too much in our personal space. And I immediately picked up on it. But I was like, okay, you know, maybe there's differences here. Um, and I sat down right away quickly. Rob and Teresa did not. And the girls, there were like five of them, were kind of huddled around them, standing around. The next thing I know, I hear Teresa say, what? What are you doing? The girl had her hand in Teresa's purse. Uh, the other girl oh. had her hand in Rob's back pocket. And so um, they, and then the girls start speaking to them in French and, oh, what are you talking about? And um, then Teresa's pushing her off of her and she didn't take anything, but she had literally unzipped Teresa's zipper on her purse without her even feeling it. Wow. And then immediately the train came to the next Copperfield. Yeah, came to the station and they the, all the girls jumped off. So they were, we uh, caught them. Well, I can tell you that no so fast. French women unzipped me while I was in Paris. <laughs> so it was so fast and so lightning quick. It's one of the biggest pickpocket cities in the world, but I think Barcelona is worse now, in my opinion. I feel like every time people, I have friends who go to Barcelona. They have a story about having their iPhone stolen. I feel like every and single that person. We'll discuss when first. we do our Barcelona episode. Uh-huh. Yeah. Or Paris is a lot of theft as well. Yeah. Paris, there's a lot of theft in Paris as well. But it's very French theft. So it's, you know, cool. It took them time to recover because they felt so assaulted and they felt so vulnerable. And yet we felt like, well, we're, you know, we're city savvy. We, we know what to look for. We know what to. And it was boom. Those girls were um, like lightning quick stealth. So we were on high alert after that. Peg? Um, one thing that I noticed the last time I was there was that um, I felt like the, a lot of the restaurants, you know, you like to sit out under the heaters and tons of cafes and you just sit out and the chairs are aiming at the street. I found that um, I was really happy that the restaurants did not have translated uh, menus. So, Mm, you know, a lot of places that you travel now, like when we were in in Spain, it felt like they, well, maybe because I speak Spanish more, I don't speak French at all. Um, It was easier to understand the menus. And I really like that about travel. I like when you have to figure it out and they don't have Mm -hmm. it in English for you. So I was glad to see that they were not catering to the tourists or the Americans anyway. Even though you are a tourist. Yeah, but she wants to immerse herself into... It does so raise... did you guys dress so yeah. like Beth so you could pass as French people? Did you dress so you could like hopefully people would think no, you were No, I wore sneakers and jeans. <laughs> I was very uh, touristy looking. American I, cheesy looking. I didn't wear tennis shoes. I had on uh, like walking shoes that are, they, they are essentially tennis shoes, but they're like, don't look like them. <laughs> so they're not like the white with this big Nike swoosh on them. Um, but then I did have, um, I had dress pants on that were flexible. I don't know if that makes sense. They weren't jeans, but they were like walking travel pants. Lycra? They weren't Lycra, no. Spandex? No, spandex, yes. I was testing the limits of spandex. <laughs> <laughs> no. For all those French food. They're like those travel pants. Um, and I'm just blanking on if there's a brand name to them. But 
Yeah, like convertibles, uh, like the kind com- that wick your. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. But if they you weren't wanted the to convertibles. Wash them in body sweat. Yeah. Like camping I, stuff. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah. I like traveling in those because it's not jeans, it's not dress pants. They don't have to be ironed. Yeah. And I agree. Uh, so I have a lot of those that I travel in and then just nice shirts. But I didn't got, buy a fancy coat. Um, like, Beth did, which would have been great. We we screamed American for sure. <laughs> so I called John, John from the Eiffel Tower. They had Wi-Fi. That's a big difference than I noticed. Well, they yeah, didn't used sure. to have the last time I was there. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> First time I was in Paris, I had a Nokia flip phone. <laughs> um, it, it, it's a uh, the, the 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 changes are 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 significant. But it, the thing it, I think that. I think about now in the U.S. that I my goal for the U.S. or at least for cities in the U.S. was always to kind of get to the point where they were as walkable and 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 civilized as Paris. And I've uh, I think I've kind of given up on that, or maybe I've now started to rethink that we're not going to get there because we just we can't make any decisions in this country. But the um, <laughs> we can't do anything differently. But it's like I and I but I also kind of I don't know I I, I still. I still love the feeling that when I was in Paris, wherever you are, it's like a comfortable little nook. Like you never felt you were like walking by a war zone construction area or a, or a, you know, you're like, you were in danger of going deaf because of semis going by or, or like I, that, that I sometimes feel when I'm in Chicago and certain places where I walk, cause I walk a lot here as well. I walk a ton. I just like to walk. And it's it's even funnier with a baby in Chicago because you're just I walk around and I think what am I doing with a baby walking by here with semis going by and rocks shooting and like you know people beeping and and then I think if I were in Paris it'd be so much like I don't know it's so much more organized so I do feel like it still offers for me something of a kind of a guide star of what I hope we can we can achieve as a society i think it's just i don't think it's just old i think it's actually almost a target for some a way i like to live um but at the same time i'm not sure it's something that's going to be obtainable but it is it is a great place to live it really is in fact i've said when i was there i was i was teaching and i used to say that i think being a teenager paris is the best place on earth to be a teenager because i just because there are no rules about where you can or cannot go you can get around entirely by yourself without a car. Um, you know, friends are accessible. Everything is what was at the time relatively. You know, you could afford things. Um, it was like it was a. It was really kind of a place where I thought you can do things as a teenager you just can't do in the U.S. And um, I still kind of, I, I still kind of view that as as the kind of a goal for how to live. That's a great goal. So, Peg, you have some pictures. I have a comment. Does everybody have pictures of their trip? Yes, I, of course. Thousands. I don't think I have any pictures, but <laughs> I have uh, my picture taken in Paris in 2019 in the same coat that I have my picture taken in Paris in like 2001. <laughs> I need to go okay, shopping. Okay, so we're going to have to put those pictures up on the website. <laughs> the before oh, and after. I don't find that shocking at all. That I'm wearing the same coat 20 <laughs> years later. No. Oh, oh, I man. still have my coat from 97 that I wore on my first trip. There you yeah. go. Yeah. So. 
<laughs> so, Beth, the next year when we're in Paris for Thanksgiving, you have to bring, bring that code. Exactly. Yes, for sure. Yeah. So, Jim, because you're such a movie buff, I will tell you that when I went to visit John, I think it was for New Year's. We were there for the New Year's when they switched over to the Euro. Remember, John, we went right to the ATM machine at midnight to see if there were Euros in the ATM. <laughs> but anyway, while we were there, John, I think the day we arrived, we went to see um, Lord of the Rings in Paris. Oh, yeah. And the subtitles for, you know, when they're speaking Elfin and all that were in French. So I couldn't understand any of it. When they were sp- <laughs> and I, I remember falling asleep like three times because of jet lag in that long three hour movie, three and a half hour movie so that funny. had French subtitles. I, saw, I also saw a movie in VO version original. Uh, I saw an American movie, which was an interesting experience to see an American movie. It is. It is. Even though you're watching in a movie, it's the same movie. It's yeah. totally different with the context, which tells yeah. you something about. I about saw a really film. bad Coen Brothers movie, so but whatever. But it was still an experience I enjoyed. So yeah, yeah. always but, enjoy going. Yeah. Home. But um, yeah, film's a major part of life in France. Everybody stands yeah. in line with their little books and reads while they well, wait to the get famous- into a movie. The famous scene in uh, Francois Truffaut's movie Day for Night, which is his movie about making movies, and there's a scene where the actor in the movie is talking to his girlfriend, and she's and they're going to go see some movie that night, and she says, "Well, where are we going to eat first? Yeah, you don't go to eat first. You 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 get online, and we eat while we're online. We have to be online for the film. That's more important than anything. Blah 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 blah. No so question. That, yeah." Uh, that always makes me smile. Yeah, because you never, you can't get in if you don't go get in line. You will not get a seat. The theater's always, it's always sold out. Now I wonder if that's changed. They may have gotten, you know. Well, in the pandemic, I'm sure they're just closed. So, well, no, but I'm just no saying, movies. in terms of, I, in the time since you've been there, they may now have, you know, buy tickets in advance and all that jazz. Like, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. So I'm the sure. change comes everywhere, but um, no. But the respect for film is yeah, something yeah, no, that also it. is yeah. very French and very Parisian. It was the first place where I, like you said, Jim, I was introduced to the idea of original version film. I was like, what does that even mean? And then you realize that I think it was Germany that they dub most all foreign films. Like, it's just a culture of A lot of, of places they dub. And France yeah. just doesn't. Like, they, they're like, that is cheapening the original art. You don't want to do that. You're tearing down the art, the film. And how can you? That's like taking a Picasso and then, you know, painting over it with some spray paint. Yeah. Well, generally, dubbing is not a not a good idea. Although Fellini was a big fan of dubbing, but that's another story. But um, dubbing in different languages. Well, Fellini actually got to the point where he would use actors or people in his films because of the way they look, and he would just have them oh. say numbers and then dub in all the dialogue later. Fascinating! <laughs> what a snob! I love it. <laughs> But you have you know, the right Fellini's face, Madame, a, but you do not have the the voice. Well, no, I mean, I don't even think he was using actors almost at that point. He was just using people and yeah, 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 just yeah, dubbing yeah, in the. Yeah, di- yeah. I mean, it was you know that's Fellini, but that's enough. Yeah, we could do a whole thing about Fellini that no one would want to hear, John. But um, but I'm sure a lot of there are a lot of I'm sure there are plenty of artists who yeah experimented with that. Yeah, it's cool. Well, I was going to say it was common in the United States during the 
say the 50s, 60s, 70s, when foreign films first became, foreign language films first became popular, that that they would actually sometimes show these foreign language films in beyond the art house world, and you would see a dubbed version, you know, is what... the. So in other words, you would see, if you wanted to see the, you'd have to go to like the art house cinema to see the subtitled version, because it once it got out beyond that, it would be like a dubbed version. And that was very common. And of course, uh, foreign, film, foreign language films in the United States are not nearly as prevalent as they were in the 50s. Yeah, for sure. But that is because for a lot of reasons. Roger Corman used to say that once they started letting people be naked in American films, people would stop going to foreign. That was his theory. (laughs) But might be some truth to that. Back to some of the food. I'm hungry. I haven't had breakfast yet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Are you hungry spiritually or physically? Are you looking for spiritual nourishment? or Emotionally, physically, mentally. uh, Yeah. We'll leave out the next one you're going to get to on that <laughs> list because your mother might be listening, Chad. One of the most decadent meals I've had in, or the most decadent meals that I've ever had in my entire life was at uh, the Jules Verne restaurant in the Eiffel Tower. We splurged and had the six-course meal, which again, they bring out the little pieces, you know, little appetizer size uh, tastings. And then we paired it with the wine or drinks at their recommendation. But the service was impeccable. Like the attention to detail, plus seeing being in the Eiffel Tower and eating. And seeing, I know it's such a tourist trap, John. I can hear and see your face right now. No, it's not, though. It's not the same way that others are. It is a tourist trap, but it's not the same way that other places but are. But it was but anyway, the flavors it's great. and how, you know, yeah. how they mixed yeah, yeah, up. Yeah, and yeah, I yeah. tried foie gras, which I said I would never have in my entire life. Oh, yum. And it was yum. delicious. Of course. And we tried all these other things. You know, I had escargot, which I've had before, but it was completely different um, prepared, number one, in Paris by a French person. <laughs> so what did you have? Right. Like the frozen escargot from uh, Swanson's <laughs> probably. before previously? Was, that's probably with wherever <laughs> I had it previously, how they prepared it. But it was amazing. And, and be there. Yeah, you could night. put shoelaces in that much garlic and butter and it would taste oh, good. So I love it. Yeah, uh, it was, it, it was out of this world expensive, but um, <laughs> it was worth the experience. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, we uh, John took us to. Uh, we I mentioned this before that John took us to George, uh, or had us go to the George, and it was unbelievably expensive. And it was good, but I mean, honestly, I thought the other meals we had in other places, which I can't even remember the names, because I'm sure this isn't. The literal truth, but my impression is that the other places we ate for the rest of the weekend were all like we would walk down the street, see a place, and just go there. And they were all the food was yeah. always good, and yeah. it wasn't nearly as expensive, and it was yeah, just yeah, as yeah, good yeah. as the food yeah. at the George. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. The George was just an, the George is a CNBC place. It's the cool place that's on top of the Contemporary Art Museum in a very unique building. It's it's an experience that goes beyond the food. I mean, the food's great, but it 
not all about that. But you're right. No, for sure, Jim. Yeah, I mean, that's those are to- they're tourist traps because of the price. The food's great everywhere. Yeah, that that's sort of, and again, I'm sure that's memory coloring in the 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 picture, but it does seem that way to me that I recollect that the foods were the all the meals were good, and that most of them were just sort of randomly chosen <laughs> at as we walked down the street. Although that's probably not true, but um, it feel it had the feeling of that that sort of random improv. Also, John, anytime hanging around with you has some feeling of random improvisation. (laughs) That could also be part of it. That could be part of it. Beth, what about you? Any memorable meals you want to talk about from Paris? Well, on the first trip, we met up with, I have a friend who was a um, pilot, and he had another pilot friend who had a layover in Paris. So he's like, you know, three Americans in Paris on Thanksgiving, you guys should meet. So we went to this little restaurant on Ile St. Louis, had this wonderful meal. And it turns out that the guy grew up next door to our cousin's wife where we were supposed to be for Thanksgiving. And he knew the whole family. And it was just this weird, <laughs> wow. bizarre. And then we just walked around and, you know, found a wine bar that was open and obviously drank too much. But it was just that, like, we still talk about that meal. And then um, the last time I was there was over Bastille Day in 2010. And my friends were, one of my friends worked for the State Department. So I stayed with them in their fabulous four-bedroom French apartment, you know, with the high ceilings and the plaster moldings and the parquet floors. And we were supposed to have a picnic at the grounds of Versailles for Bastille Day, but it was raining. So we just had this multiple hour feast and lounging around their apartment with their fun group of friends. And again, it was just but totally two different experiences, but, you know, just amazing. And the food in both cases was spectacular and so memorable. And so you guys should know that Beth has more friends than anyone else alive because Beth remembers every person she's ever met and the names of their partners and all of their children. It's amazing <laughs> to see. Wow. It's a, I've it's gone a, to events wow. with Beth at the AFL-CIO where Beth literally knows everyone and asks questions about it. It's like being with a master politician, you know, who remembers everybody's name. She's right up there with John then. He's pretty darn good at that. Well, first of all, Beth has an extraordinarily good memory. But the fact that she and she and the other thing is about Beth, and this is entirely to her credit, is. She stays in touch with all of these people that she's known throughout her entire life. I mean, she stays in touch with, like, everybody, basically. But, Beth, and, I, Beth, I imagine that's because you have the value. I mean, I used to say to myself, I'm going, when I'm young, I'm meeting people so that when I'm old, I can visit them. <laughs> I thought that was, I imagine there's some, She's there's probably some, like, not quite it's a value as transactional as that, but maybe, I don't know. That, that's my well, theory with my nieces and nephews, that ah. I bond with them early and I'm generous. So mm-hmm. when I'm old, I will have a place to stay. There you go. Um, 
Brilliant. But no, I've been really lucky because I have friends who travel all over the place and we just have that sort of just pick it up again when you get together. There's none of this like you can send me a Christmas card stuff. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So it's wonderful. It's just then you just pick up right where you left off. That well, there's no comparison John when you travel somewhere. Yeah, there's no comparison when you travel somewhere and you stay with someone who's local. There's just no comparison versus a hotel. I mean, a hotel's fun, don't get me wrong, or an Airbnb or whatever, but there's no comparison, at least in the world of being a 20-something, when you don't know what the hell you're doing, you're traveling by yourself. There's nothing like going and staying with a family or a group of friends in a place where you're in their home and you see their routine. Uh, I mean, it's... It, that is a window into culture that you don't get any other way. You know, think lost in translation of being stuck in the Hilton in Tokyo versus, you know, being at someone's home and having them feed you what they're feeding themselves. It depends and kind of on, on who you're schedule. stuck in the hotel with, John. That's another. Well, that's what I'm right. But that's but you're you're it's about the hotel then. That used to be John. I'm so sad. When, in what way? In what way oh. used to be John? We visited him what in Amsterdam. John, we visited him in Paris. We visited, and now he's just in oh, Chicago. Oh, I see. So I think that there's, <laughs> you know, wow. Peg, wow. I think there is a sense in which you and I share that, that John Heinz was, uh, when we were younger, was often a catalyst for adventure. Oh, yeah, for sure. For there's a downside sure. to this, which is I did not commit. I. I did not commit to. I committed to that for sure. I committed to following kind of these this, these adventures of culture and language and experiences over things like career and stability and maybe even economic security. But it was uh, it worked out uh, in the end. It was a choice I made at a young yeah. age. But you were happy. No, yeah, but I mean, I'm just, I'm just, I guess, I, I always think about different people listening to this podcast, and I know 90, 99% of them are people we know who, who, who are older. John means his and family this. is what but he's worried about. But for my nieces and nephews who are listening, if the, God forbid they're listening, I, I'm not, I don't recommend it in all, in all cases. I think there are parts oh, of it I'd recommend. But that, when, when you're younger, that's what you should do. You should Yeah, and you provided us with a lot of good no, times we went around no, the but world a lot of with people you lived in a very i mean much more stable yeah i don't know. necessarily think that's better though. i understand now having a child how you want to set your child and i understand you, you that, want to but, set youth up for success but you know is, i get that and i understand that but i you know what i honestly think when when people are young they should they should look you want to do that when you're young and you have the energy and you don't have the commitment and you're not wrapped up in a uh, a career when you don't have children. You can't do that when you have children. You have to do that before you have children. All right. I think this has been a great episode and it makes us all hungry and want to travel. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> Thirsty. Peg, are you tired of the episode? Do you not want to hear any more about Paris? Yeah, I think it's we've. I think it's time. I think our listeners. Do you have any last probably... words that you want to say about Paris? Everybody gets a chance to say a last word about Paris. Peg, I just want to see us all there in 2021 Thanksgiving. Very good, Shelley. What's your last thought? I on recommend Paris? that everybody, at least once in their life, go to Paris. Well, that's a recommendation. Wow, you snuck one in on us well, there. That's what about not my you, official Beth? recommendation, though? Hmm. Do you have an official recommendation? Wait, we're getting to that, Jim. That's oh, not wait a minute. section. Right. It's a different segment. No, I was just going to mix it all together. Of course, does because that was the plan, Jim. Uh, I see. Beth, what is your uh, <laughs> thoughts on Paris? 
you can also give your recommendation if you want. But oh boy, uh, here we go. Um, I am looking forward to spending another Thanksgiving in Paris with you, lovely people. Oh Oh, my God, Peggy and Beth. (laughs) Well, I'm not sure getting them together that might be too much. The Peggy Beth monolith might emerge. I don't (laughs) know. John, your final thoughts on Paris? My my final thought thought is if you've never read Baudelaire's Aoun Passant to a passerby, the poem. It's a very short poem about a a guy watching a beautiful woman passing by and he gets a glance of her and he feels this incredible desire and love and basically builds up an entire fiction in his mind of what his life could be like and how great it would be if 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 only he could have her and, and sees the whole world in the po- and the world of possibilities in this in this random person. And that for me was a big part of Paris. And I encourage you, if you haven't read the poem, read it because it's it's for me this idea of of the possibility of new people and, and again, the fun and joy of that. That's a sneaky recommendation, ladies and gentlemen, although John is going to say it's not officially a recommendation. It you is asked, a recommendation. I answered your question. It's going to go on the official recommendation list. Does anybody want to make a recommendation? I do. Other than... Yes, Shelly, go ahead. So I have two recommendations. Uh-oh. Uh, so my first recommendation, ironically, is uh, I'm listening to a book called Codename Aline, and it is based on the thrilling real-life story of a socialite spy, Nancy Wake. And um, what she was a spy, she was a female spy in World War II. It's based on her, so it's fiction. It's historical fiction. But it's uh, pretty interesting, um, and it weaves different timelines into before the war, during the war, and a little bit, I guess, after the war. I haven't gotten to the end of it quite yet, um, and her different aliases that she uses against the Gestapo. But um, I'm finding it fascinating because it is in the backdrop of France um, and Paris, and then um, quite a bit in Marseille. So it fits with the theme of this week's episode. And, and I started that before we made the decision to talk about uh, Paris. So that was kind of nice how that came together. And then my second quick recommendation is I enjoy Christmas. Halloween is my, um, my holiday, right? But I do like decorating in general. So I spent time decorating this weekend for Christmas because you can do that now mm-hmm. that Thanksgiving is over. And I yeah, bought the, well, I... 150 LED blue Christmas lights that are outside. Ooh, and cool. they're really pretty. They're super pretty when there's snow, but there's no snow yet. And I bought them from Amazon. Those are my recommendations. So you can find those on the, you can find a link to those on the, uh... <laughs> on the, yes, on our, <laughs> on the show exactly, notes, in the show notes. Exactly. I have a recommendation. Can you find a link to the Baudelaire poem on the show notes? Go ahead, Peggy. Sure, of course. No problem. So I bought a, in the fall, uh, I bought two hoses and they're the, did I already do make this recommendation? And they're the no, kind no. of hoses, hoses that, com- yeah, they completely collapse. So they're so much easier to handle than your typical hose that you have to wind and it's kinks and whatnot. And I bought those on Amazon. So that means you should buy them on Amazon. Awesome. There's a link to those on the, on the show notes page too. Take a look. 
And, and, and for those of you who are not who are missing the gratuitous references that we're making to Amazon and the fact that I'm saying there are links in the show notes, we've mentioned this before on the podcast. We're in an effort to make this vaguely uh, to, to to give us a little uh, a little revenue to make this thing break even. Amazon has a deal where if you click on the links that we set up on our show notes, we get a little tiny cut. It's microscopic, and to be honest, we haven't gotten any yet. But <laughs> but if we do, uh, it'd be great. So if you see any, if you hear us referring to anything on the show that sounds appealing to you, if you click on the link in uh, on the bottom of the show notes, we'll, um, it, it it helps us along the way in, in a tiny way while getting you what you want at the same price. And now that we've done the beggary portion of the broadcast, Beth, did you yeah. want to make a recommendation? You don't have to, but you can if you want to. I'll pass. <laughs> Okie doke. Well, thank you guys all, and thank you for listening. And Jim, what's your recommendation? I, I'm going to tell it when I get to it, okay? Oh. We want to thank our musical person, Ted Enley. We want to thank our editor, Justin Mullins. We want to thank Gail and Chad, whoever they are, wherever they are. We uh, appreciate your listening. We're available on all the regular podcast platforms. If you can and think of it and can rate us while you, after you've listened to this, we'd appreciate it. Please visit our website in search of an argument.com. You will find the long discuss show notes and you will find the list of recommendations and you will find lots of photographs of trips to Paris that we're going to be putting up as well. We uh, also would appreciate if you want to give us any feedback on this episode or any other episode. And we hope that this has provided a little respite from what you're going through. And uh, we hope that if you enjoyed this, you will, in the words of the great Karina Longworth, in her own podcast, you must remember this, says, if you enjoyed it, please tell anyone you can, any way that you can. And uh, I will leave you with my recommendation, which is uh, from the classic film Casablanca. And in the words of the character Rick Blaine speaking to Ilsa Lund Laszlo, we'll always have Paris. Bye. Bye. Bye.